Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the government stresses all vaccines are safe after advice from a panel of experts causes confusion. All vaccines in Canada have been approved by Health Canada. Our advice to provinces and territories and to Canadians has not changed. Alberta introduces new pandemic restrictions. Personal and wellness services, including hair salons, tattoo parlors, tanning salons and nail salons will close for the next three weeks. In-person dining at uh, bars and restaurants, including outdoor patios, will have to close during the same period. And the Conservatives continue to push for the Prime Minister to fire his Chief of Staff. Making one person resign, that's not going to fix uh, the situation for women. Uh, it's And it's the Prime Minister that's to blame, and it's the Defence Minister that's to blame. It is That's the person who's responsible, and then that's where the responsibility and the, the accountability should stand. It's Wednesday, May the 5th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you very much for joining us today. Morning, Mark. So the prime minister and and others in the government were saying yesterday, look, all vaccines are safe. You should take the first vaccine that's available to you. This comes after a report earlier in the week by the NACI that suggested that maybe people should wait for a particular vaccine that might be better for them than, say, the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, do you think that we've, we've set people back on the right course now, or has this introduced a, a level of confusion into the marketplace? Oh, I think it's definitely more the latter than the former, Mark. I mean, this has definitely added some confusion and hesitancy and doubt. Um, uh, you know, uh, the National Advisory Committee on Immunization is made up of experts and, and uh, uh, people who do nothing but this kind of thing all the time. I assume they know what they're talking about. Uh, the politicians who are responding are not experts, although they must be gaining a heck of a lot of uh insight into these technologies and these issues now. Uh, but us poor regular folks who are wondering what is the best thing to do for ourselves and our families are left wondering, well, who do we believe? And that is absolutely the worst type of uncertainty to add to the situation, especially when you have, uh, you know, very you know, small but noisy groups of anti-vaxxers and vaccine hesitancy groups uh, that are uh, parading around on Facebook or around some of our towns and cities telling people that it's all a bunch of baloney and don't get vaccinated and don't wear a mask and don't believe the government. So this is, you know, it, it just makes you shake your head. Isn't there enough going on here? Um, that uh, these major organizations can't keep their stories straight. So uh, it, it is, it's, it's very frustrating given how long we've been dealing with this uh, and the anxiety that's out there in the population. Yeah. And and how could something like this happen when there there is so obviously a concerted effort for everybody to, to stay on message? I know, you know, we don't want to turn this into propaganda. We don't want to to limit freedom of speech or anything, but you would think there would be some coordination happening between various agencies to make sure they're, they're talking these things through in the best interests of the community, right? Well, you would think, yeah, somebody at this, uh, at this national advisory committee 
uh, may have, you know, why did not somebody there say, oh, maybe we should just give a call over to Health Canada, uh, you know, or over to Dr. Tam's office or even to the Privy Council or somebody and say, uh, yeah, we're going to have this uh, statement, which might be a tiny bit at variance from what you're saying, and just have a heads up. Rather, they come out and make the statement, and now everyone's scrambling around trying to decide who to believe. And then you get clarifications, which are never heard as, as clearly as the initial statement. That's the way our minds work and the way the media works. And, uh, you know, so it, it leaves people thinking, well, am I getting the best vaccine or is this okay but not the, you know, it, it's, we don't need uncertainty. We need uh, a sense of national purpose and resolution, and the only way you can get that to kill this thing is is to have consistency in messaging, and um, and keeping our stories straight. So, uh, and, and you know, in the media, what what are we supposed to do? You can't ignore a statement no. from from an eminent group like that. So you know, it ends up adding to the muddle that's already out there. Yeah. All right, let's turn to what's happening in Alberta. There's been a lot of scrutiny recently on that province um, because uh, in, in some cases they've handled the pandemic a little bit differently. The messaging has been different there from other provinces. The measures have been different. But now new steps have been put in place. New uh, restrictions have been put in place to uh, to stem the third wave in that province. And uh, this is this is a step I'm sure Jason Kenney hoped he would never have to take. But here we are. What do you what do you make of all of that? Well, uh, Jason Kenney has bumbled and stumbled and slammed barn doors as the horses were vanishing off over the horizon, basically since this has started. I mean, now Alberta has 23,000 active cases, the highest case rate in the country. And, you know, now they're going to tighten this and, and adjust that and some of these measures... I mean, all of the measures that they're imposing are are good measures. They they have to be done. But why are they be done being done in such a piecemeal, hesitant, and cowardly fashion? I mean, you know, is Jason Kenney has got a massive mandate from the people of Alberta. He he has the power to do things and make them stick. And I just don't understand all the shilly shallying around that's gone on out there. Meanwhile. Uh, there are Canadians who go in and out of Alberta to work in the oil patch. Uh, there's some of them are arriving in places where we had a really good handle on the pandemic until recently. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about the Maritimes and Atlantic provinces. You know, people are going in and out of the patch out there and coming back with COVID. So this is just not acceptable. And, and uh, I don't understand um, why the Kenny government has been so tentative about everything. Um, I mean, even these new measures, you know, like at least they're finally closing, you know, hair salons, tanning places, and nail salons. Um, you know, it's going to be harder to get a tattoo in Alberta. Uh, you know, this is not breaking my heart as a Canadian to, you know, to see that. So they're going to have to get tight and stay tight until this is tamed. And, um, you know, Alberta has had great advantages that few other provinces have been able to enjoy. It's had the cash to invest in its infrastructure, its hospitals and its schools. And now we're seeing the schools are, are, are suffering from lack of infrastructure. And uh, meanwhile, you know, there's, they haven't actually closed them down 
in, in the way that has to be done to make the uh, these lockdowns effective. So I, I just shake my head sometimes, Mark, at what they're doing out there. Uh, Jason Kenney's wonderful uh, reputation as a great political operator is just in absolute shambles now. And, and I don't know how Albertans can have confidence in what the government's telling them from day to day. All right. Finally, Dan, let's turn to the continuing pressure on the prime minister to fire his chief of staff, Katie Telford, over uh, what she knew about the allegations of misconduct in the senior ranks of the Canadian military, the allegations against the former chief of the defense staff, Jonathan Vance. Um, this, This has continued to play out as a political story, even though at the heart of it, it's really a cultural issue. And a, and a story for the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, the, at the heart of this are some specific allegations that need to be addressed and a broader issue of what the culture is like within the Canadian military. Um, what do you think about how this is playing out on both those tracks? Well, uh, you know, Katie Telford is a very, uh, I mean, in terms of people who work around prime ministers, they're generally not, you know, household names. Uh, but, you know, Katie Telford is a well-known figure. She is a senior advisor and a trusted person, obviously, to the prime minister. And so, uh, as a result, is a very prime target uh, for the opposition. Um, you know, the thing is, though, Mark, as you said, this problem is in the military. The problem is in their culture. The problem is in the failure of a five-year operation to... Uh, to bring this problem under control and to eliminate um, issues of, of um, harassment and, and sexual misconduct within the military. That is the real problem. If Katie Telford, is, if her head is presented to the public after, you know, Trudeau having to get rid of her because she's the designated fall person, um, the problem is still going to go on in the military. That is the problem. You know, no matter what happens at the political level, as you say, this has to take place. The change has to take place within the military institution. And um, it doesn't matter who is the prime advisor to the prime minister in that case. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm after many years of watching, you know, opposition parties, the liberals did it when they were in opposition, you know, to try to call for the head of this functionary or that advisor or this, you know, secretary of this or that or minister, it, 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 that is performative politics that's done for partisan reasons in a lot of cases. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, maybe uh, Katie Telford will have to go uh, as a result of this. As I've said on your program before, I still think uh, Minister Sajjan has, has lost all credibility in that job and should be shuffled. But, you know, um, and I think he will be when the dust settles a little bit. But as it stands right now, um, you know, what I think the politicians should be talking about is the problem in the military and not so much the problem in the PMO. Right. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. But make sure you get your shot as soon as it's your turn. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues Canada needs clear answers to keep up the momentum of the vaccine rollout. The Star writes, At a moment when authorities are trying to get as many people as possible to get their shots and crush COVID's third wave, the conflicting advice feeds vaccine hesitancy. 
It's asking a lot to expect Canadians to run all this information through their heads and figure out their own COVID calculus. There were enough barriers to overcome when the message was straightforward. With the waters well and truly muddied, it will now be that much harder. In the National Post, John Iveson argues the health minister is failing to walk the line on COVID vaccines. Iveson writes, In question period on Monday, when asked what the advice is from Health Canada on vaccines, Patty Haidu flubbed it, saying Canadians should consult their healthcare professionals. It was left to Justin Trudeau to point out that people should take the first vaccine offered to them. Haidu was back on track later in the day when she made clear she was unwavering in her opinion that Canadians should accept the first shot offered. It would be amusing if only the stakes weren't so high. At National News Watch, Don Lenahan and Andrew Balfour ask if vaccine-resistant variants could turn North America and Europe into gated communities. They write, While Canadian politicians talk openly about how variants can increase transmission, they have tiptoed around the subject of vaccine-resistant variants, and it's not hard to see why. If some experts are right, those variants are coming. If so, the question for vaccinated countries is whether they can modify the existing vaccines fast enough to prevent a resurgence. The crisis in India could be an early warning sign, and governments should take note. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With the debate and rapidly changing science and messaging surrounding Canada's four approved COVID-19 vaccines, a parliamentary committee will be holding some very timely hearings this afternoon, looking into Canada's vaccine strategy and the choices that were made. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this afternoon at 3.30pm, MPs on the Commons Committee on Government Operations and Estimates will hear from the co-chairs of Canada's COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force. The Trudeau government created the task force last spring. Its mandate was to advise the federal government on the choices to ensure that Canada could have a supply of eventual COVID-19 vaccines. Now, much of what has happened is now history, but it's also the centre of intense political debate about the choices that were made and whether Canada could have been closer to producing a homegrown, domestically produced vaccine. There was the ill-fated, failed partnership in the early days of the pandemic between the National Research Council of Canada and the China-based firm CanSino. That deal collapsed after the Chinese government refused to go ahead with it. Then there was Ottawa's decision to provide $173 million to a Quebec City company, Medicago, to develop a COVID-19 vaccine and build a plant in Quebec. That laboratory won't be up and running until the end of the year. And then lastly, Ottawa has signed a large contract with a Maryland-based company, Novavax, to produce vaccines in Montreal. That will go on at a National Research Council facility. The first Canadian-made Novavax vials, though, won't be produced until the end of this year at the earliest. All of that is well after the point when every Canadian is supposed to be inoculated against COVID-19. So mark the testimony and the questions and answers before the committee this afternoon should prove to be quite fascinating. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. He will also be joined by Minister of Families Ahmed Hussein and Treasury Board President Jean-Yves Duclos at a virtual event to recognize the 2020 national recipients of the Prime Minister's Awards for Teaching Excellence. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will virtually attend the Liberal Caucus meeting. She will also speak about the Budget Implementation Act in the House of Commons. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media after the NDP caucus meeting. Foreign Affairs Minister Marc Carneau will hold a news conference at the conclusion of the G7 Foreign and Development Ministers meeting. 
Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will take part in a virtual discussion hosted by MyTax. And Immigration Minister Marco Mendocino will hold a special event to discuss the pathway for permanent residence for essential workers and international graduates. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, May the 5th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.